today on All About Animals Radio, I'm really pleased to welcome Grace Jones, a conservation coordinator with the Cornish Seal Sanctuary. Now, I'm going to just read out a little bit of a mission statement here before we start, just so people get an idea of what we're going to talk about today. The Sea Life Trust, the Cornish Seal Sanctuary, is a charity that rescues and rehabilitates grey seal pups from around the Cornish coastline. Every year, September to March, Sanctuary rehabilitates over 70 seal pups that have been rescued for various reasons. And we're going to talk about some of those reasons. Um, Sadly, some of these seals do become disabled. Um, They have all kinds of issues and they cannot be released. And it isn't an excuse. They actually genuinely can't be released. Um, So the Sanctuary provides a permanent home. Uh, The Sanctuary also works with many other I will say charities, but individuals, volunteers, all kinds of marine groups. We'll talk about that as well, because given the climate crisis and given all kinds of different things that keep happening, smaller charities are having to step up and help other species. And in that respect, hi, Grace, I'm going to say hello to you before I keep talking. (laughs) We're going to talk about some beavers as well, aren't we? Yes, absolutely. Now, they had really cute names, didn't they, these beavers? And I'm going to start with the cute because, you know, beavers just look awesome. And we're not really used to them in this country. Very much scruff and maple. And I think there was another one somewhere, wasn't there? Was there another? Uh, There was a Hamish. A Hamish, that's it. Yes. So tell us, how did a seal sanctuary become involved with beavers? Um, Well, it kind of started a good couple of years ago so the project itself um sort of i would say um kick-started in um between 2020 um and 2021 but the planning for that was a good few years before that it took a, a long time for us to get to the point where we had beavers on site um and kind of the reason for that i guess was that we we were quite proud of our woodland at the at the seal sanctuary. It's um, what is classed as sort of ancient woodland, which is actually quite rare in our country. Um, we are in good contact, or we were in good contact with um, Chris Jones already, who um, helps run the Beaver Project with the Cornwall Wildlife Trust. Um, and I think it kind of just rolled on from there, really. On is it possible? We kept on asking these questions. Um, are we able to? And then it kind of all just fitted into place, really. Um, we've got, a, it's almost like a little valley um, in our creek area that runs through our woodland. Um, we have brilliant neighbours as well. So chatting to everyone, um, we able we were able to find out that it, it was, we were able to have it as a reality um and yeah from there really it kind of all fitted into place really with the help of obviously the environmental agency natural england um the beaver trust they basically help run it because like you said we're the seal sanctuary um (laughs) we don't really have much expertise with beavers or if any we're still learning so it was quite nice that the beaver project could almost sort of uh, or the beaver trust sorry could literally just come in and say this is what you need and this is what we can do um and they yeah they were absolutely brilliant um and kind of helped us to where we are now um i have to say um maple scruff and um hamish they are no longer with us now they're at their their long-term facility so um, we actually have two enclosures at the sanctuary the the small enclosure is where our asian short otters used to be housed 
Um, and we were more than happy to kind of once, um, unfortunately, Apricot, our female Asian short claw otter, had to be euthanized in 2020. We were then successfully able to find a home for her, her partner, Harris, um, who has a new girlfriend in Scarborough. Um, we, we decided before that happened that we weren't going to replace the otters. Um, we wanted to focus more on what the sanctuary is all about, which is the seals, our local um, wildlife um, so we were actually more than happy to almost bulldoze that enclosure down because it was so old. It had a lot of things wrong with it, with its filtration, everything. But um, yeah, the, the Beaver Trust actually really liked the enclosure, thought it would be brilliant as sort of like a little um, stepping stone for beavers to be housed, but understand its environment, hear the hear the noises. They, it had um, a little pond because we had Asian short clod otters in there. So it was perfect for them. So we've still got that little enclosure. Um, so it's quite it's quite nice where if beavers unfortunately had to be picked up because they're orphans um, or for any other reason why the beaver trust had to pick them up, instead of them just being housed in um, sort of a building, they can at least be housed here um, in in our old otter enclosure, which is what we called um, beaver nursery because we usually have young beavers in there. Um, and then we have uh, the much larger enclosure, which is almost three acres just next door, um, which is a fenced off area in the woodland. Um, so it's almost semi-captive um, beavers in there because they are captive because we've got the fencing in there. Um, but there's everything in, the, in that enclosure. Um, a stream runs through the middle of it where they can express natural forms of of behaviour. Um, that's again where our neighbours come in handy. They're absolutely fantastic because they own half of the enclosure. So without them, we wouldn't have been able to have done it. Um, that is so, a big enclosure, isn't it? Three acres. Yes. Yeah, it's it is lovely. a nice big enclosure. Um, so that's where we have our, again, semi-residents because they are never going to be permanent residents at the sanctuary because if um, the requirement is for, for them to go elsewhere in the country where it will help with um, breeding um uh, obviously the spreading a more variety of a uh, gene pool um this is all decided by the beaver trust thankfully okay. we don't have to decide any of this which is good um it's too much responsibility on our shoulders i think um but we still named them so we've got twiggy barbara and norbert in there <laughs> at the moment um and the change that they've done to that enclosure is absolutely phenomenal um, for what it looked like before to what it looks like now. Um, they've um, they've created at least six dams. One of them has um, accumulated a large volume of water right at the bottom of the enclosure, where that's where beavers feel the most safest, where the biggest volume of water, the safer they feel. Is this, uh, is done... that, sorry, is that from a natural stream they've done that, or is it yeah. just... Yeah, a natural stream. Yeah, wow. so we basically it's it's the woodland, um, which is part owned by us, part owned by our neighbour, and the uh, boundary set between us and our neighbour is the stream. Basically, so you go oh, on one see. side of the stream, it's us, and the other is our neighbour. Um, and yeah, if you just kind of think of it, that the enclosure kind of going around the stream, um, covering almost three acres, they've got that entire stretch to pretty much be a beaver. Um, to be fair, it did take them a very, very long time. Um, so they got put into the enclosure around 2021. I can't remember the dates because they all went in at different times. And it was only October 2022, so last year, that they actually 
made some considerable change to the to is the that enclosure. because they were young i mean were these orphans or they were, were they orphans right. yes yeah um, from two different sets so it's uh, the two girls barbara and twiggy are sisters and they're right. from one set and uh, norbert is on his own um but yeah it could be that but uh, yeah it, well i'm not 100 sure why it took them so long um we have had beavers however that age that have gone into our beaver nursery so the small enclosure and they have expressed all forms of natural behavior damming lodging just in that tiny enclosure they were i think they were ready to um to be released back out into the wild let alone be moved to another facility so i think it just depends on the individual sometimes um, they've done pretty well though haven't they because bat- oh, beavers don't they live in family so you kind of assume they would learn off their parents so of course exactly don't get yes. that chance no exactly yeah we had them just under six months of age so they wouldn't have learned any of any of that um trait from their parents right or especially their mum at, at that point when we got them um so yeah all of what they've accomplished in the enclosure is is all down to them really um they have had a few failures which is kind of what you learn from yeah obviously with the heavy rainfall that we've we've been having that has washed away a couple of the dams but when they've fixed the dams they've reinforced them and they've almost made them better really so it's, it's absolutely incredible yeah the the biggest, I mean, they are rodents, but they are the biggest rodent that we've got in our country. They are incredibly intelligent. They learn from their mistakes and they can learn, okay, that didn't work last time. So we we have to modify it in some way. And it's it's actually incredible what they've accomplished. Oh, that's lovely. They're just an absolutely fascinating. And, and what do they eat? Do you have to feed them or is there something in the foliage? Do they just eat fish, foliage, mixture? No. So beavers, it is a myth. Beavers do not eat fish. Um, okay. They eat eat um vegetation basically they can eat really? berries as well um if they've got a bit of a sweet tooth but um no there's it's just basically um what they go for is what is called the cambium layer um on a branch so you have bark that surrounds the branch okay um, and just underneath that is a thin layer of which is called the cambium layer once they have sort of gnawed through that they are then left with a bland stick basically and then most of the time um they they can just chuck it aside they don't want it anymore but usually they'll then use that and put it into their dam so they re- they, they use everything um not everything i mean sometimes we do go into our closure and there's half-eaten branches just left everywhere <laughs> as if they can't be bothered to do anything with it but most of the branches that are in amongst the dams are yeah. from what they've left behind from their breakfast or their lunch um but we've not had to some facilities have had to i think it just depends on their appetite sometimes um as well on their preferences so some uh, it says that beavers can eat holly but for some reason ours just don't like holly um so it just kind of depends on their preferences really um but we haven't had to supplement our beavers in the enclosure if they're in the nursery enclosure which is the smaller one we do because obviously it's a lot smaller um and we add uh, various species of um foliage and also depending on their age um the beaver trust do like us to supplement with fruit and veg sometimes just to help them gain enough energy where they're not using all of their energy to um eat just the the branches in the enclosure basically they have like a little bit of a um sort of a bit of a full belly um so they don't have to yeah constantly go outside and and um 
and and nor on the branches sometimes they can just stay inside which they do have the opportunity to because there's a there's an indoor section in that enclosure as well oh, you have little yeah. webcams in there we do yeah um it's actually what we have to do really because they're nocturnal we can't see them during the day okay. so we have camera traps in both enclosures um just to keep an eye on them really um see what they're up to um is, it, is a beaver a beaver or are there different species of beavers uh, there are only uh, uh, two different species of beavers. So there's the Eurasian beaver and then there's the North American beaver and that's it. Okay. And what have you got? <laughs> We've got the Eurasian <laughs> beaver. Yeah. Which one did you choose? They <laughs> <laughs> get confused when they went to Scotland then. Because they, they've gone to Scotland, haven't they, some of them? Or have they some not? Some of them have, but some of them have actually stayed um, in England, which is okay. amazing because um, we have started to allow some reintroduction programs or say we obviously the beaver trust have yes. um i say we as, as a as a country we've not actually been able to um, allow some reintroductions of beavers in england which is brilliant it's a huge step forward um but if reintroductions can't be um made because there's no um individuals from scotland like beavers i mean um there's no orphans for example they can get them from other areas of europe they're all the same species it also helps with the genetic pool as okay. well to keep it varied um but unfortunately there are uh, a large number of um sort of incident incidences where there are orphans coming from um in the scotland area because that's where there's more introductions um right. and then that's where there's the more potential of, of human and wildlife conflict unfortunately so That's if you shame. get orphans is is most likely in that area it's not just because it's worse it's just because there are more reintroductions happening in scotland than there are in england okay um so unfortunately that there is always going to be that need for for our beaver nursery for example oh, absolutely this is why i wanted to highlight it because you know we're in a climate crisis literally every life matters and, you know, I'm really keen to, you know, encourage people to support, you know, the charities that are really trying and going above and beyond everything. <clears throat> you know, you do incredible work with um, the SEALs and we'll talk about them now. Um, and we're going to talk about your lucky, your lucky band challenge. I don't know why I'm finding that so hard to say. <laughs> <laughs> it's an elastic band, everybody. Tell us about that and tell us why you've done it. Um, so the reason why we started it was that we wanted to make a campaign that was interactive. So rather than just sort of having a campaign listing off all these issues that are happening on our doorstep, it's not just any other parts of the world, which is, I think, sometimes mind boggling to, to some people. But oh, we've, we've all seen make, it. We've seen yeah. endless wildlife just wrapped up in, yeah. well, usually fishing gear, but all kinds of rubbish. You know, because yeah. you, know, you go to a beach, you don't actually see that much rubbish. And yet we do see a lot of wildlife problems. So, you know, what you're doing is brilliant. Yeah. And unfortunately, we actually have the, the highest entanglement rate for, for pinnipeds, which are seals, out of the whole world. Oh, my word. Which didn't uh, is expect not... that. Yeah, so it's it's not it's not known by, by many people, unfortunately, let alone... Um, yeah just the issues that we have here on our on our doorstep so we wanted to come up with a campaign that was interactive something that kids can get involved with that adults can definitely get involved with because when you look at the challenge you think 
it's not that bad. It's just an elastic band on your hand. But when you actually try it out, it's really difficult to 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 get the elastic band off. Some people can do it, um, but I couldn't. Definitely, I, I don't think anyone, any member of staff here at the sanctuary could either. So it was almost getting that sort of mindset to then think, okay, this is quite difficult to get off. How does the seal feel about this? To then have this object that shouldn't have been there in, in the first place on them and have no capabilities of, of removing it. And, you know, obviously after our challenge, we could just take it off and then hand it to the next person to have a go. But unfortunately these, these seals, cetaceans and birds, they don't have that luxury. Um, one thing that really um, hit our hearts, unfortunately, was um, Joy Division. In fact, he um, was a rescue by us, uh, or by British Divers Marine Life Rescue, and then he 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 come to us um, in 2018, I believe. Uh, his rehab went fine; he got released. Um, but unfortunately, uh, I think about a year later, he was spotted up on the north coast of Cornwall with a frisbee around his neck, um, and it was absolutely heartbreaking. Um, it was just a, it, it's not something that was discarded or anything. It was probably purposely left on the beach and then unfortunately the sea took it away seals are incredibly curious animals and they can't help themselves sometimes um and yeah it was absolutely devastating to to see well there Um, there is a sorry there is um a campaign at the moment asking dog owners people you know just please buy the old-fashioned frisbees and um from what i learned last week i've put a notice up i asked my local vets if they would Mm -hmm. just put a poster up just to say please everybody don't stop having fun but do you realise that these frisbees with the rings in them are causing so much trouble for wildlife? Yeah. And as you say, you know, you've done all that work. It's quite expensive, isn't it? Per seal rescue, isn't it about two thousand pounds ish to rescue every single seal? You know, yes. efforts obviously, involved. Yeah, obviously it can vary because we have seals that come through rehab that can take about five to six weeks. Yeah, and then we get other seals that are here for six months. So it does vary, but sort of on average, it's between fifteen hundred to two grand, which, yeah, like you said, it's not. That's, that's not pocket change, is it? And no, anybody with a pet, we, we know how these vet bills add up and it's, you know, it's not particularly vets being greedy. It's just it's private health. Mm-hmm. And so to pay that money, put all that love, effort, hard work, because I'm guessing that seals don't, you know, just present themselves at midday in the middle of the working day. You know, it could be any time of day or night or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, to then release them and then they get caught up in something that can be avoided it must be quite soul destroying really it really was yeah and I think I don't know if it if it was a bit harsh saying it because we had a bit of an attachment to Joy Division um, because there are there are still several seals around Cornwall that have frisbees unfortunately really um, so they're actually I've- out then that you know of that you just can't get them Unfortunately, yeah, um, that either we can't get access to them because of the location or just to their size. Um, sometimes oh, you, you have to you have to just call it and, and say no, because seals are large animals. Um, yeah. A female can be about 150 kilos and a male can be between 240 and 260 kilos. So uh, the physically we, c- we can't do it. Um but with Joy Division, thankfully, he was still at a size where we could do something. We just had to be patient and wait for the right time for um, for the to be him in the right position at the right time, the right tide times, the right enough people to, to help with the rescue. 
Um, and I don't know what date it was, but thankfully we were able to do it with, again, with the connections with British Divers, Marine Life Rescue and Seal Research Trust, we were able to get down there um, and um, and remove the, the Frisbee for him. Obviously, he didn't like it very much. He was <laughs> he was very, very angry, but I'm hoping um, he's a little, a little bit of appreciation now. there at the end. I like to think so. Yeah, but I think the time, they do. I think happy. most animals know, don't they, when you're trying to help them. It is a bit of, oh, thank goodness when it happens. But how's it going at the moment? Because, you know, what happens? You, you know, I read in your stats, you have about 70 years, but what happens if you get 80 or 90 or you know, the numbers vary. Do you just always, you know, just manage it's a squash and a squeeze, but you manage or do you find things are changing over the years and you need a bit more space or does it pretty much stay the same? Um, it does vary, especially the past um, five or six years now, I would say, um, because not only is it um, the, the number of seals that are needing to be rescued, um, it's the weather conditions during the popping season that allows us to release them. So for example, we could have um, a season where we have between 60 to 70 pups, which is quite a nice number for the animal care team to manage. Okay. Um, but if we haven't got a window to release these seals back out into the wild due oh, to the storms and the weather conditions, that's when it becomes a serious problem. Um, and then also if we have a season where it's really busy with numbers of seal pups coming in where we get over 80 we might have a really good winter where we where we are allowed allowed to to release them in good time and we can keep a, a good flow going as soon as we get a bit of a bottleneck in that's when we really start to worry um, but again we couldn't do it we all couldn't do it unless we all work together um, yeah. and and yeah um thankfully we obviously in good contact with the British Divers Marine Life Rescue, the RSPCA as well. Um, we did have a horrible um, pup season. Uh, that was 2017 and 18. It was incredibly busy. Not 100% sure why um, we had such high numbers coming in. We also had really bad storms, so we couldn't release them. Um, and it was a very stressful year. And learning from that season has kind of helped us with the the seasons from there so right. hopefully we won't be in a position where um we won't know what to do basically um uh hopefully that there is somewhere in the country who we're all in contact with that can that can help us um unfortunately it does it does make it really hard when when the numbers of seals needing to be rescues increases and we haven't got space in the facilities that's when it does become hard and unfortunately um, vets have to have to come up with some really difficult decisions but um, it is all about sort of triage really and we need to make sure that the ones that we have in our care um, have the best chance of survival and, and can be released back out into the wild um, but thankfully this season um, it has been busy but we've had good um, good weather so even yeah. though we have had bad weather on and off it has been on and off so we have been able to find a gap for a couple of days of nice weather and and kick out um, a good good number of seals so then we can have space for for the next ones that need to come in really and out of your 70 or 80 how many will have to stay do you ever get a time when you know regularly there's two three four five that are just disabled for whatever reason that can't be released or the ones that stay is that not every year it isn't every year thank goodness oh, um, good. 
yeah no uh, that uh, I think would be overrun at that point okay um we are sort of at we kind of hitting capacity now um because obviously our pools and our filtration can only cope with so much yeah um but again um yeah that sort of decision is, is sometimes it's not made down to us um if we can't provide a long-term care for for that individual then um it we'll have the contacts with the rest of the country and to find out whether or not that individual can have a long-term home elsewhere but um thankfully it doesn't happen that often um for how long I've been here um which is six years now um it's only happened twice um and that decision being made is not taken lightly um it's it takes a very very long time because the best thing for that animal and for the wild population is for it to be released back out into the wild it's only the last resort of it staying in in captivity um, and then also it puts a, an extra burden on the animal care team uh, because they're not separate teams on the animal care team there's not a separate team for rehab and a separate team for looking after the resident animals which we have um, just under 20 individuals to look after so adding individuals to those captive numbers that's quite a lot isn't it it's a it's a huge amount for a a huge responsibility for the animal care team um each individual takes a lot of time and care um, because then you've got to look at animal training you've got to look about husbandry the requirements for that individual uh, because some certain individuals might be kept for certain reasons so is it long-term medication are they blind it's a, yeah it's it's not a, a decision that is made lightly um but yeah thankfully it doesn't happen that often did i read that you pump up seawater into your pools so these they're all in natural water yes we do so thankfully our um facility our sanctuary is right by the estuary of the helford estuary so at high tide we set a pump um and we pump our water straight from the estuary into a holding tank uh, before it goes in there, it goes through a drum filter, so it filters out all the sort of the huge bits, and then yeah, it just sits in our in our tank until we until we need to use it really. Um, so it's <laughs> ideal. We obviously we have to pay for the maintenance of the pump and the filtration, but thankfully we don't have to pay for for the actual water itself. But I still think that is a really good thing. I mean, I think people should be quite impressed with that one because. You know, these animals are going straight into natural water. You know, they're not having to cope with chlorine or other things that we see in other captive environments. You know, so even the residents that have got various problems, I don't you sort of hinted at one of them's blind, maybe, um, that they can still have a life, you know, in a in natural water at least, which is, you know, which is something, isn't it? You know, can you tell me the the sort of range of disabilities that keep them you know a few things that the 20 have that may be why they can't be released so people can sort of understand so um yes uh, we have individuals that have um an overactive thyroid condition oh, believe it or not <laughs> um so with this um obviously they're unable to maintain their weight yep. so we have one that isn't actually able to maintain her coat either oh. So when she every year um, and even twice a year, they actually molts their coat to um, a beautiful brand new one every single year. Um, It's usually sort of either after or just before breeding season kind of depends on the individual. I'm not 100% sure how they decide on when they want to molt. Um, But yeah, she comes up with a beautiful coat. But unfortunately, it takes maybe 
maximum about four five weeks and then she kind of just scratches it off again and then she's a bold seal for the rest of the year and that's just purely down to a thyroid condition um multiple of them are blind um so we have one uh, we have one that the vets think that he was born blind um we have ray who has displaced lenses um and that was due to a blow to the head um so that unfortunately affected his vision um, and unfortunately, due to the blow to the head, uh, which could have been caused by the rough storm weather that was happening at the time, and he could have been hit by the rocks, um, he actually had a fractured skull and a minor degree of brain damage. Oh, so skull. with that, he doesn't express natural, normal behaviour of a male seal. He's actually the nicest seal you'll ever come across. He's really oh, too nice. And because of that, he wouldn't have survived he got a chance, the wild. No. no, absolutely not. He's too soft. Bless him. Um, we also have um, <laughs> one with um, susceptible to irritable bowel syndrome. <laughs> so that's it just one. shows they're not really that different to all of us, are they? No, they're really not. And um, I'm not. I'm not admitting to to that you know problem myself, but <laughs> <laughs> but um, they're not. We, they've got human. They've got human ailments. Oh, they really they? do. Yeah, we have um, pumpkin as well, who is the first pinniped, which is seals, sea lions, and um, fur seals to ever come across kidney stones when he was rescued and unfortunately that's a reoccurrence so even though he doesn't have currently have kidney stones now during his training he actually allows the animal care team and a vet to then um, produce an ultrasound scan to check his kidneys on an annual basis just to make sure that his kidneys are working well and that the kidney stones aren't going to come back um but uh, yeah just uh yeah we've got jarvis who's a common seal um rescued in 2016 he has bilateral cataracts which is something that he would have been born with but yeah they're all very varied um but that's a it, lot of individual care isn't it it really is and like i was saying the even just ch- training a healthy animal is hard enough as it is but training and providing adequate husbandry to an animal that has such specific needs is not easy on no. top of dealing with the pup rehab that um obviously like you're saying we get between 70 to 80 pups coming through our hospital every year it's it's a huge responsibility for the animal care team so definitely it yeah the decision is not taken lightly on uh, whether or not they become a resident at the sanctuary or not so there are there are a few things um that people can do and you know to help the residents because whereas seals would normally dive what is it they can dive up to 1500 feet is that right Um, yes they can obviously when they've got cataracts and kidney stones and everything else they're not going to be doing any of that so you have got a really easy way haven't you for people to help if they would like to um there's an amazon wish list now on your amazon wish list i will say this after us talking about rings there are rings on there but there are because they're in pools and is like kids under supervision Yes, they're not going to get yeah, stuck. I have checked because um, the animal care team obviously have access to that. And if a certain individual is showing an interest or if they suddenly come up with an idea, they can pop onto the wish list. So then I was panicking a little bit. So I had a little <laughs> look. Um, but no, the rings that are on there, they're not Frisbee rings. Oh, OK. They are hula hoops. So they are they're bigger. They're, they're much bigger, even to our largest seal, which is your logs, who's 250 kilos, can actually swim through there. Marvellous. Um, yeah, no, none of them um, are, are small enough for them to get stuck okay. around their neck. 
Um, but yeah, anything, oh, I'm trying to think of an example. So we do get, um, they're called Wubbers. They're basically like, uh, it's a dog toy that's shaped as a Kong and it's got this um, wetsuit fabric material over the top and it's what right. you would use maybe in the sea with your dog to throw it in. It floats, yeah. it can catch it and retrieve it. So we have them for the seals as well, but that is under supervision. Right. So there are to- toys that have to be only used under supervision because they could cause like a choke hazard or uh, not really anything that's an entanglement hazard, but where, yeah, basically the animal does need to be supervised if the toy is going to be used for an enrichment occasion. Um, but yeah, no, the hoops that are on our wish list Marvelous. can actually even stay in the enclosure. They don't need to be supervised because they're so big. Um, for some reason, I don't know why. Seals just like sitting in them and holding them with their flippers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's just Well, animals, they I've noticed it with mine and I do notice it. Do you know what? Even if you see birds sometimes, they collect stuff. And I know it with my dog. He likes his own stuff. I know with, yeah. you know, other animals I've had. You can just tell there's there's always one that likes something. And they do. Yeah. They put it in a corner. They put it somewhere, don't they? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's um there's even this, um it's almost the shape of a football, but it's got handles. Right. Um, and one seal just goes absolutely berserk over it. Um, she just loves holding it and carrying it around in her mouth. It's, it floats. It's, it floats yep. in the water, but she just likes holding it in her mouth and just swimming around the pool with it. It's like you say, they just have just they're just fixated sometimes on one particular toy. So, um, yeah, I definitely agree with that. So how, how do you one other thing I'm going to ask you, because this is always a little bit of a dodgy area when it comes to animals in captivity. How do you manage it with having visitors in? And having, you know, these are wild animals. If they were on the beach, you wouldn't disturb them. How do you kind of manage it that the animal, you know, has its privacy or the ones that are in because they have needed so much care? You know, are they just now used to people and it's it's really not an issue? Um, it's quite a hard one to describe, really, because the seals that we get coming through rehab they they never get to a point where they get used to people um when they get placed when they come out of the hospital and they go down on site which gives them a a bigger pool um there are areas in certain enclosures where the window would allow them to be quite close to a member of public but it's a very bizarre behavior where they aren't fascinated scared um it's almost like they just don't show any emotion as soon as you go into the enclosure which would be a member of staff um that's aggression straight away they don't want anything to do with you um they will either fight which is unfortunately they do do that they Mm -hmm. um do try and bite your shins or bite your ankles um or they'll flight which is they'll go straight to the water which is usually what they would prefer to do because the water's their safety blanket um yeah weirdly it doesn't really or it hasn't affected them when they're when they're released back out into the wild because our seals are tagged every rehab seal is tagged um they are monitored through the seal research trust um, when they're released back out into the wild so if there were particular individuals that were showing behavior where they were habituated at least then we would know whether or not they were seal sanctuary seals right um if we were, yes, hand feeding them the, the fish, for example, or if we were in the enclosure more than necessary, that's when the issue would be for 
of trying to habituate the animal um, because the animal care team are in there to do a job and they're either in there to restrain them um, or to clean a pool they're yeah. not interacting with the animal in, in any positive way at all um, right. and when they're being fed they're not be they're not seeing any member of staff feeding them it's thrown over the wall into the water um, even when they're being force fed they're they've got a towel restraining over over their over their muzzle so they can't see the animal care team feeding them um, it's a very stressful period uh, a pup going through rehab um, it has to be the last resort okay. for that pup to have to come through rehab because it's so incredibly stressful so I think because of that it outweighs the risk of 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 the them potentially becoming habituated because they hate us so much um yeah they don't they the last thing they want to do is be anywhere near us um the one good thing i have noticed and a couple of members of the team have noticed is that they they have become habituated with um with aircrafts so we okay. are near coldrose navy base so right. we have helicopters coming over every day at least two or three times a day um and none of the animals show any fear towards the the helicopters so whether or not this assists with them when they're finally released back out into the wild to hopefully reduce the chances of them being disturbed by aircrafts um, when they're hauled out on rocks or beaches, which unfortunately does happen, anything yeah. spooks seals out in the wild. Um, that I'm not 100% sure, but when the seals are at the sanctuary um, and we have helicopters going over, which sometimes they are quite low because they're training, they don't they don't phase it doesn't phase them at all which is i find quite interesting yeah well it's a bit like white noise and babies isn't it yeah yeah which i'm hoping it helps when they're finally released yeah. so when they do hear the coast guard going over or the air ambulance oh, i see they then don't think oh I, this is danger i need to i need to flee and and get away right um but I'm not 100% sure. It's not something that we can change either. Unless oh, no. we move our facilities no, somewhere it's just, else. It's just an interesting but, um, bit of trivia, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think it's quite interesting. Yeah, whether or not as well um, it would help with, because uh, obviously there's more drones occurring around to, to get that shot of the coastal um, scene. Um, and then oh, noisy drones, things. Yeah, noisy, horrible scare things. seals out yeah. into the water. So whether or not this helps with them thinking that it's not a danger and they need to, they need to flee um, for safety. I'm well, that's right because you don't want them fling. You don't want them fling for safety. No, no. Last week, that's not a good thing for a seal to suddenly have to rush on back in. It really isn't. No, no. Um, but that's just it's only a theory, unfortunately. That's all right. It's interesting. <laughs> interesting. Right then. So, just to sum up here a little bit, how can people help apart from the Amazon wish list? Do you have enough visitors? Do you like people turning up? You know, is it is it how do how do people, you know, every but every wildlife place at the moment needs help without a doubt. And the nice thing about yours is you do take visitors as well. Um, I'm assuming that, you know, you wouldn't want a million people turning up over one day. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, what what do you what, what what kind of thing do you appreciate? You know, how can people be involved if they'd like to be involved? Um, I think in any any way that people feel like they can help um would be absolutely amazing um we can obviously list off um things that what people can do so for example like you said we've got our wish list some people like to to actually purchase an object as a donation which is quite nice um at least with our wish list it's what the animal care team need 
Um, so yeah, like you said, we've got our wish list. We've also got um, a couple of pages on our website. So one of them is actually for our campaign Fund Our Future. Um, this is basically to revamp a lot of our enclosures on site because a lot of them are dated um so and with that just by clicking on the website and on the page um you can donate straight away through there um if you wanted to set set up your own fundraising event um you can even do it from there as well we can give you um booklets and handouts and ideas if people actually wanted to actively fundraise as well um but yeah there's pretty much whatever whatever you like really we still get letters arriving um by the postman with um with money in a card um, oh, that's so and that's nice. how pe- yeah exactly <laughs> and that's how people wish that they would want to donate sometimes they have a little a little note in the card a little message sometimes it's just literally a blank card and they're anonymous um but yeah anyway unfortunately the biggest issue as you were saying with other um charities it is money at the moment um the price of materials has is shot up so unfortunately that has putting um, a burden on our fund our future campaign the the fund our future campaign is a big one Um, we will put details of that on the podcast we will put your website details of that that'd be fantastic and Um, we will put down as well for schools especially when you know most schools every friday or at least once a month they do the selling fairy cakes and everything else you know you know you everybody's always looking for a, a different charity to um do you know if everybody just took a turn and everything it, it all adds up it really does oh it, it absolutely does yeah absolutely. 15, 1500 pounds to 2000 pounds per seal you know mm-hmm. it's it is greatly appreciated and it definitely makes a difference oh absolutely yeah every penny does make a difference um so it could be absolutely anything um and for an example we actually had this little girl who came to us last christmas just before christmas and she had a little pot um in truro on late night shopping with a little sign to say donations to the corner seal sanctuary um and then she come in the next day with the pot of of change and we popped it straight into the donation pot it was it was brilliant um it was like maybe close to 10 pounds or something but it's just like you're saying having that initiative for especially yes. children to actually go out of their way to help fundraise for such an important cause is it's absolutely incredible it's absolutely amazing I think especially after all the years of Covid I know it's like say all the years three years but it did seem like <laughs> yeah. last time you know I think it's nice if everybody can get going again and you know come on we can make a difference and it makes you yeah. feel good as well especially with all I, the yeah you know the schools bringing in all the climate issues and everything mm-hmm. else we need our wildlife we need them desperately to keep those yeah. oceans healthy and yeah, seals absolutely. are so very important yeah there's no question about it <laughs> it's been a pleasure it's been an absolute pleasure grace thank you so much for joining us today that's all right thank you for having me